If everyone would take out your bulletin, and in your bulletin you'll find an outline of today's message, which we are calling, or actually asking the question, Are We Living in the End Times? Recently uh, I attended a, a gathering of a bunch of preachers, and one of the preachers couldn't be there. His name was Gene Apple, and... Uh, so he sent a little gift to all the preachers at the gathering. It was a thumb drive with a message on it because his congregation was asking him that question. Are we living in the end times? And he sent it with this little note. You have my permission and blessing to use any material that is helpful and to trash anything that's not. And today I'm going to do a little bit of both. But one of the great things that Gene Apple does is he has some really good stats that I want to share with you this morning. And so, to your outline, if you could ask God any question, anything, what would you ask? Uh, This is often how Jesus taught. Someone would ask a question, and then Jesus would respond with an answer. And so, are we living in the end times? We're all watching the same horrific things happening around the globe. And some people look at the Bible and current events and say, is there a connection here? I mean, there are natural disasters. There are wars and rumors of wars. There are terrorist attacks. There's this thing called ISIS, Ebola. Christians are being martyred and their heads actually being chopped off. Well, there's another thing called globalism. And it's almost like there's two sides to this world. There's that dark side of the force and there's the good side of the force. There's one pulling toward world, one, one world government. One world religion. One world global digital currency. And another pushback. Have you heard of Brexit? Brexit? Yeah. Pulling back. Well, France is trying to do something else right now. They're trying to pull back as well. There's an election going on over there right now. And you witnessed the election here in our country, and, and we got a president that says, I am a nationalist. I'm not a globalist. And, and how divided we are even in our country. Well, we live in a divided world, and people are saying, are these the end times? Things really look messed up, do they not? Well, I guess the best thing to do is just let the Bible speak, right? So let's go to the Word of God. Acts chapter 2 and verse 17. Let's look up here on the the screen. This is Peter talking on the day of Pentecost. And he uses these words. In the last days. Whoa, there's an interesting phrase. What's he talking about here? Remember, what is Acts chapter 2 all about? Isn't that the birthday of the church? Isn't this, Jesus has died, he rose, and he told the apostles, go to Jerusalem, wait for you to receive power on high, and then start preaching. Well, this is that day. And there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind. The apostles are preaching away, and some of the men are mocking the apostles. And they're saying, these men are drunk. And Peter says, no, we're not. This is that 
which the prophet Joel spoke of. The outpouring of God's Spirit. And this is actually a quotation from an Old Testament prophet that you know, lived hundreds of years earlier. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Joel says, in the last days, the Spirit would be poured out. Peter says, we're in the last days. So ever since Peter said that, I suppose you could say we've been in the last days. You say, but Bruce, it's been like 2,000 years. How long do the last days last? I don't know. And neither do you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to share a, a number of things today with you that I don't know all the answers to. And I don't think anyone else does. I mean, when you start studying this, you'll find there are premillennialists, there are postmillennialists, there are amillennialists, preterists, there are panmillennialists, and you know what that's all about. We've discussed it's all going to pan out in the end, right? So you can, you can read a lot of material, you can spend a lot of money, and you can study this for a lifetime. And good, godly men and women, Christian people, have disagreed over whether or not we are in the end times or not. But whether we're in the end times or not, if you were to die tonight... Jesus came for you, right? And don't think that can't happen. Lance Reed's father passed away yesterday. And I had the privilege of baptizing him into Christ. I know he's a believer, and I know he's in heaven. And he's got a new body, and he would not wish us back. A girl in my youth group I laid to rest this past week did her funeral. Some of you were here. Yvette Tovar was in my youth group. I baptized her when she was 15 years old. She's now in heaven. I saw her in the hospital on a Wednesday. By Thursday night, she was dead. We are not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? It can happen to anyone. So whether he's coming back soon or whether back he's coming back soon for you, the point is, get ready if you're not and stay ready if you are, there are at least three dispensations of time. There's the patriarchal age, and that lasted from Adam to Moses. Then you got the Mosaic age, and that lasted from Moses to the cross. And today we are living in the last days called the Christian age or the church age. What happens after this age? There's no more. Time shall be no more. We're living in the last age if you want to look at it that way fact look up here on the screen number one one in every 30 verses in the bible talks about the end of time fact 216 chapters in the new testament contain over 300 references to it in fact 23 of the 27 new testament books in the bible talk about it now let me ask you a question look up here if you knew the end was near would you live differently would that have any effect on how you lived your life pastor bill and pastor bob had churches across the street from each other pastor bill put up a sign turn around before it's too late pastor bob put up a sign the end is near about that time a carload of kids came speeding by they rolled down the windows and they started screaming at the two preachers you religious freaks, you're crazy fanatics. 
And they sped around the corner. And about that time you heard the screeching of tires. And then a big splash. And Pastor Bill looks to Pastor Bob and said, Should we have just said, Caution, the bridge is out? Did that go over? I like that. I like that. Matthew 24, verse 3. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Where had they just been? They're now on the Mount of Olives, but just prior to going to the Mount of Olives, they were at the temple. And they were taking a little temple tour, and as they're going by, the Jesus and the disciples, the disciples looked at Jesus and said, Whoa, look at this. Man, this is one big temple. Look at all these buildings. This place is huge. And Jesus said, guys, there's a day coming. There won't be one stone of this temple left on top of the other. They're all coming down. I mean, that'd be like if we were in New York City prior to 9-11. Seeing these big towers, the twin towers, and someone were to say to you, there's a day coming soon. Those are coming down just like that. They won't be here anymore. You'd go, what? What What are you talking about? Well, now they're on the Mount of Olives, and they're saying, Jesus, when and what? Do you see that? It's a when and what question. Jesus answers the what. He kind of says, here's what it's going to look like. But he never does answer the when. Now, I believe in the imminent return of Christ. I don't. What that means simply is, he can come back anytime. We are waiting on nothing. There is nothing else to be fulfilled. No prophecies left. Not one single thing needs to take place for Jesus to return. Study for yourself. You may think otherwise, and I'm good with that. If you want to have a discussion at length, we can do that another time. But I want you to study it and draw your own conclusions. I know every time I study this subject, I get three more questions than I get answers to. And so I know it can be frustrating and a little bit difficult. But have at it if you want. But I know this. Every generation that has ever lived thought they were living in the end times. When I was in college... Uh, one of my instructors. His name was Jim McGuigan. He came into the class one day and read something to us, and he he said, there are wars. There are rumors of wars. There is pestilence. There is famine. There is there, there has never been such evil in the world as such a time as this. And he just rattled on. And what he was quoting from, he says, this comes from the newspaper in Russia which was a hundred years earlier, every generation thought this is the end times. But is there anything special about our generation? Maybe. Maybe. It's possible. What's different today? Let's look at three unique indications that we may be living in the end times. Number one, the regathering of the Jewish people to Israel. This is almost miraculous, folks. Jeremiah 16 and Isaiah 11 These passages indicate when history is over, the Jews will look back and they will no longer refer to God as the one that delivered them from Egypt. If you read the Old Testament again and again and again and again, he's he's, he's referred to as the God who delivered them from Egypt. 
But watch this. But as the God who regathered them to the land that he gave to their forefathers. What land was that? To Canaan's land I'm on my way. That's Palestine. That's modern day Israel. Fact, in 1900, there were about 40,000 Jews living in Palestine. After World War II, about a half a million Jews. Today, there are over 8.6 million Jews. They have come from around the world. Europe, America, Russia, Ethiopia. It's almost miraculous when you stop and think about it. Number two, the reclamation of the land of Israel. Once Israel ceased to be a nation, back in AD 70, it fell into ruin. It really became a land of desolation. It was barren. It was destroyed. It was a wasteland. And in 1900, there were only 17,000 trees in all of Palestine. We know this. You say, how would you know there's exactly 17,000 trees? Because the Turks ruled for a short time, and the way that they would tax the citizens that lived in that area was by how many trees you had. And if you wanted a tax break, guess what you would do? Every year you would chop down a few trees, right? So they knew in 1900 there was exactly 17,000 trees. Today there are over 450 million. In fact, a hundred years ago, what we know as the Valley of Megiddo, or Armageddon near the hill of Megiddo, that was a malaria-infested marshland. Today, it is one of the highest food-producing places of real estate per square foot in the entire world. And Ezekiel writes these words. Interesting. They, say, they, they will say, the land that was laid waste has become like what? The Garden of Eden. That's Israel today, folks. Modern day Israel. It's happening. Interesting, isn't it? Now, one more thing. The rebirth of Israel as a nation. In 1948, Ezekiel 37 and Matthew 24 talk about prophecies of God raising up these dry bones. Remember, uh, God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Shows them, you know, the knee bones connected to the thigh bone. You know that song? It kind of comes from this verse. Can these bones live? And he says, Only you know, Lord. Ezekiel 37, 12, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Now listen, after AD 70, when the Roman army, led by their general Titus, he came into Jerusalem and leveled it, wiped it completely out. And you remember Jesus talking about not one stone left upon the other? Do you know why? One of the things he did was he desolated the temple because Gentiles weren't allowed in. Not only did he go in and steal whatever he wanted to steal, he set fire to it, and the fire got so hot, the ceiling had gold. It was inlaid with gold, and it melted. And it melted and started to seep down what? The cracks of those huge stones. (laughs) And the Romans wanted that gold, and so guess what they did? They meticulously took down every stone, stone by stone, and not one stone was left upon the other. And they got the gold. 
Well, the Jews after that were scattered throughout the world for 18 centuries. The nation of Israel was considered dead. But then, suddenly, on May 14, 1948, three and a half years after World War II, a handful of Jewish people declared Israel was a nation again. And the dry bones began to resurrect after 1,900 years. That is unheard of. No nation has ever fallen apart for that long a time and then has come back together again. Now connect that with Matthew 24, 32, up here on the screen. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. Some people think that the fig tree is talking about the nation of Israel. Now notice I said some people, not all people. There are various forms of belief here. As its twigs gather, or get tender, and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you will know that it is what? Near. Right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. Now, here's some controversy. What generation? Who's he talking to? The disciples. What do the disciples ask? What and when? <laughs> and he tells them. And he says, listen guys, this generation, that's one way of looking at it. I'm talking to the disciples. This generation will not pass away until you see all this happen. Titus and the Roman army comes and the temple's destroyed and Israel is scattered. One interpretation says he's talking about the generation in which he was speaking to, the disciples, and that certainly makes sense. You would have thought if he was talking about something that hasn't happened yet, 2,000 years from now, he would have said, that generation, right? What does he say? Do we have a verse here? Go to the next verse. This generation will certainly not pass away until you see all these things happen. You would have thought he would have said, that generation, Right? Now, others would say, no, slow down. All Jesus means by this is the generation that sees these things happening, the regathering, the rebirthing of a nation, that generation that sees it. Are we seeing that right now? Yeah, we are. Well, that's the generation. The generation that sees this, that's when it's going to take place. Those are the two schools of thought. You can make a very, really good, valid argument for both of these, and good Christian people have differed on this. Some would say this is talking about first century AD, uh, 70 AD, when this took place under Titus and the Roman army, and others would say, no, it's talking about something in the future. You do your own study, you draw your own conclusion, but let me give you some facts. So we got three facts going so far. Now, the generation that witnesses this will... If, if this is correct, we'll see the return of Christ. Psalm 90, if you read it, talks about the average age of man. And you know what it lists? 70 or 80. And you know what's kind of interesting? Most people, on average, in today's world, even with all of our modern science and medicine and drugs, live between 70 and 80. 90 exception, 100 if you're lucky, if you're still in good health, 
But 70 or 80 is about average. And so let's take 70, add that to 1948, and you get 2018. Ooh, what's this year? 2017. You mean next year Jesus could return? That is one conclusion. Others say, well, what if, what if it's not the 70? What if you add the 80? Because he did say 70 or 80. Well, then the latest it could happen would be uh, 2028. So you're going, I got 10 years. <laughs> Eat, drink, and marry. You know, let's have a good time. Got plenty of time here. Well, I don't know. Is this true, Bruce? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But I know if you're around in 2029 and this hasn't happened, you can say, well, I guess that was the wrong interpretation. Does that fair enough, right? Hal Lindsey, when I was growing up, he said a biblical generation from his study was only 40 years. Do you remember that? Anybody read the book Late Great Planet Earth back in the 70s? They even made a movie about that. And then, so the earliest it could have happened, and notice he didn't say would happen in his favor, but he said could happen would be 1988 and then 89 and 90 and 91, and so, but he just kept writing abridged books, you know, adding to his book, and, and sold more, more, you know, so make what you want of that. Are we living in the end times? I'm just going to say, maybe, maybe not. That's not the point. Are you living in your end times? Are you ready? Are you staying ready? So, what do we do about all this? I think Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, you can put this up on the screen, has some pertinent things to say about paying attention to these things. Verse 3, above all, you must understand that in, look at this phrase, the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Do you see any scoffers around these days laughing at Christianity and God and and doing their own thing? If it feels good, do it. No one's going to tell me what to do. No Bible's going to tell me how to live my life. No God's going to rule over me. I am my own CEO. Scoffers. In the last times, this, folks, is rampant in our society. Verse 4, they will say, Where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So they were having this discussion that we're having today back in Peter's day. And here we are 2,000 years later, so, you know, the people are screaming at us saying, yeah, right, where is this coming? Verse 5, but they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, see, a lot of people deliberately don't think about God. A lot of people deliberately don't pick up the word of God. You know why? They don't want to answer to God. And so if they don't think about Him, if they don't pick up His Word, if they don't pray and talk to Him, then they feel like they don't have to answer. Big, big mistake. By God's Word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. God's Word said, let there be light, let there be dry land, let there be animals, let there be man. Vegetation, all that stuff. Sun, moon, stars. He created a universe. And so a certain day came, and on that day God by His Word created the heavens and the earth. Verse 6, And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. God picked another day by His Word, and He said, I'm going to wipe it all out. 
We read that story in Bible class this morning, didn't we, Rachel? There was a worldwide flood. Nobody downsat. Nobody. Every culture that has ever existed writes about this. And so God picked a day and he created. God picked another day and he destroyed. Is God going to destroy the earth again by water one day? No. How do I know that? Because he placed what in the sky? A rainbow. And said, I will never destroy the earth by water again. But does that mean he'll never destroy the earth again? No. What about fire? Look at verse 7. By the same word. Ooh, there's that phrase again. God picked a day and by his word created. God picked another day and wiped it all out by water. And by his same word, there's coming a day that God's going to pick. And only God knows when this day is going to be. Being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Is this going to happen soon? Maybe. Verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, the day a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Some people say, well, that's just God's way or the Bible's way of saying time means nothing to God. But there's a group of Jewish scholars, this is interesting, who believe that this verse is referring to the seven days of civilizations that have existed on the earth for the last 7,000 years. And they date it 4,000 years from Adam to Christ. There's four. And 2,000 years from Christ till now. That's six. And so you're going, ooh, seven thousand years we got another thousand years to go right oh whoopee let's live it up we're okay not really because these scholars say no that last thousand years is called the millennium when christ comes and sets up his kingdom here on earth and reigns here for that last thousand years and so if that's true tick tock tick tock tick we are really 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 close does that make sense are you seeing this Is this true, Bruce? I don't know. Study it for yourself. Draw your own conclusion. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is what? Patient. With who? You. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to come to repentance. The reason God is so slow in his coming, when people say he's slow, he's slow, he he should have been here by now. I'm looking at my clock and he's not here yet. So it must not be happy. No, the only reason he's slow is he wants more people saved. And some of you are going, I just got saved this year. I am so glad the Lord was slow. Are you getting this? And others of you, I want you to think this morning, who do you know that's far from God? that you want saved and you haven't talked to them yet, I would suggest you hurry up. You've got the relationship with them. You're the one that God's calling to talk to them. Make that happen. The reason He's taking so long is He wants more people saved. Now verse 10 
The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Does a thief call you up and say, ring, 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 hello, hello, who's this? Hi, I'm the thief, I'll be at your house tomorrow night at midnight, I'm going to steal all your possessions, just wanted you to know. Thieves don't call ahead, do they? The Bible says when the Lord comes back, it'll be like a thief in the night. Unexpected. Most people are thinking, eat, drink, be merry, live it up, got another thousand years, whatever. No, no, no. It's like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So what have we learned? What have we seen here today? Well, number one, Peter says Peter are going to be, people are going to be distracted by this life. So don't get your focus off the next life. It's not about this life, it's about the next life. Well, doesn't God want us to enjoy this life? Sure. But don't be enamored by this life. It's about the next one that counts. Number two, he says, people are going to forget about God. Uh, there's going to be a generation, the Bible says, that's going to pull back from God. Here's some interesting statistics. Look up here on the screen. These will wake you up. You heard of the builder generation? These people were born from 1927 to 1945. This group of people, 65% of that generation, were Bible-driven followers of Jesus. They could quote their Bibles. They believed in God. They, they went to church as a family. Were they perfect? No. Were they sinners? Yeah, like the rest of us. But they looked to God for the solution to their problems, and this was the book they looked to for their moral guide and compass. Then you got the boomers, born from 46 to 64. I'm a part of the boomer generation. 35% of my generation, see the drop there? are Bible-driven followers of Jesus. These are the people leading our country right now. The last generation may be our grandparents or our great-grandparents, but the boomers are the ones in power today. These are our presidents and our senators and our judges, our CEOs of the corporations, our pastors. 35% Bible-driven people. Then you got the busters, born 65 to 83. If the trend continues, you'll be... 16% Bible-driven. Do you notice this trend? And then you got the Bridgers, or some call them, isn't it interesting, the Millennials? Isn't that an interesting phrase? Born from 1984 to the present, only 4% Bible-driven followers of Jesus, if this trend continues. Man, I tell you, as a church, Crosspoint, guess where we should be focusing our, our attention on this upcoming generation. We, we need to do some desperate soul-searching and where we're spending our funds and how we're, how we're doing church. Because if our nation looks this bad with 35% of our leaders that are Bible-driven, just think of what our world's going to look like when only 4% are Bible-driven followers of Jesus. So what did we learn People are going to be distracted. People are going to forget. But number three, people are not going to be ready. Look at Matthew 24. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with 
a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Whether or not we're living in the last days, you are living in your last days, so be ready. Matthew twenty four thirty six. Look at this verse. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Did you know that Jesus doesn't even know? There's going to come a day, though, where God the Father is going to give a command to the Son and say, Son, today's the day. Go. You know, it's interesting. when you, From time to time, you hear some kooks that say, I know, mathematically, I've done this formula, figured this out, blah, blah, blah. This is the day Jesus is coming. What do I know? He's not coming on that day. I mean, if God's going to give anyone any insight into when He's coming, don't you think it's going to be the Son? And if the Son doesn't know, then you're not going to know, and I'm not going to know either. You don't need to know what time it is. You need to know what to do with the time you have. Amen? 1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Prayer is spiritual warfare. We need to be praying for our country. We need to be praying for our world. I love the fact that Luis prayed for the USS Carl Vincent this morning. And uh, our military men and women, that's an aircraft carrier, by the way. And aircraft carriers go with at least a 10-ship flotilla for protection and submarines under those. A lot of men. A lot of women out there serving their country that need our prayers. And the Bible says what? Pray. Pray, pray. I need to think clearly. I need to think clearly. What do we learn? Think clearly. Clear thinking means think about the eternal, the eternal, the eternal. Studies have shown, here's a fact, 62% of Americans believe in the second coming of Jesus, but less than 8% are actually living for Jesus. That is not thinking clearly. Peter says, I need to focus on my relationships. Why? Because people are the only thing that are going to last forever. Well, there are two things. The church, you, you're going to last forever, and the Word of God will last forever. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other. Love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then number three, I need to make a difference. 1 Peter 4.10 Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What does that mean? We're to serve one another with the gifts we've received. You mean God has given me some gifts? Yeah, he's given me some natural gifts, talents, and abilities when I was born. But he gave me some spiritual gifts when I was born again. And if you know anything about class 301, you studied that. You were doing some soul searching. You were looking inward. You were looking outward. You were trying some new things. And you're now serving. And if you've graduated from class 401, I want you to show up next week. And you say, why, you offering 501? No, I want you to show up and serve. Well, why? Why do I not show up for four hours? I've already taken Christian Life and Service Seminar 101 through 401. Unless you're going to teach me something, I don't want to come back. Well, then you haven't learned what 101 through 401 is all about. It's about service. 
It's about finding your spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities and using them to serve others. Next week, my wife is going to be out of town at her parents' house serving out there. And she's the go-to woman that I ask to go get the pizzas or the sandwiches or whatever we're having to make the salads and get the plates and do the head counts and bring the drinks out and, and to set up and to clean up. And she puts together a little crew to make that happen and she won't be here. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And she goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to preach on service. I'm going to preach what Peter said to do. We're to serve one another in its various forms. You know, this morning, Cason uh, couldn't be in here. His fiance was sick. And Matt Pena took the reins up there. Little Gabriel took the reins over there on the sound, and they put that together. I am so grateful that they were trained ahead of time and they knew what to do and that, that they could fill in. And there was also training little Nathalie. Is Nathalie how old is Nathalie? Nat. Ten years old. Woo, start him young. My son was eight years old when he came and Bob Fox taught him how to use our sound system. I made him come to church early because we only had one bathroom at our house and my wife wanted to use it and one of the men out of the house when she got up. So I said, son, I'll get you a donut if you get up at six o'clock in the morning and go with me to the church building. But I want you, and I gave him chores to do. And he, he, one of the things was I started training him. You say, well, I'm a 401 graduate and I'm not doing anything. Why? The Bible says serve one another in love. You've been given a gift. It's, it's, it's God's grace. It's various forms. If you're good with techie stuff, do techie stuff. If you're good with kids, work with kids. If you're good with music, you should be working with our band, music ministry. Whatever. If you're good with food, you know, hook up with fellowship ministry and let Pena and others that help us with these things. You know, this is not just, this is not head knowledge. This is to do, to get involved. I hear there's a security meeting today. That's a good thing. If you go, hey, you know, I'm in security. I like to see our kids safe. I want to see our building protected. How can I be a part of that? Serve, serve, serve. Let's keep moving. I need to think clearly. I need to focus on relationships, and I need to make a difference. Second Peter 3, 11 to 19. Let me just read this, and we'll wrap it up. Since everything will be destroyed... In this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Next verse. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. That's why he's waiting so long. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. I want to close with verse 18. Here it is. Next one. This is the most important verse. Because I don't want anyone leaving here afraid. 
I want you to know that we serve a God who loves you more than his own comfort. A God that stretched out his arms one day and said, I love you this much and was nailed to a cross. And he wants you to understand and receive his grace. And so he ends in verse 18 by saying, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, if you're a child of God, here's the word of the Lord for you today. Continue to grow in His grace. If you're not a child of God, here's His word for you today. Receive His grace today. For now and forever. Amen. And so lastly, I need to receive God's grace. That's the most important thing I want you to get out of today's message. Let's pray. Father, if there be one here today that hasn't received your grace, we pray that they will do so today. If you're willing to admit that you are a sinner and realize that, yes, even one sin can keep you out of God's heaven because God's perfect and heaven's a perfect place. But He is ready to forgive that sin and pardon that sin and cleanse you of all your sins. All you have to do is repent, turn to God, turn to God for help and receive His pardon. Say, God, I need a pardon. I need Your grace. I'm tired of carrying my own sins, the weight and the shame of it all. And I need to be free of it. And so I'm asking you today that if the preacher's right, you love me and you want to extend Your grace to me. And so Lord... I love you back. Would you forgive me and receive me one day when you come back for your church? Now, if you prayed that prayer, you need to take the very next step. The first next step for you is the obedience of baptism. And we can make arrangements of that this morning. You can see Luis in the prayer room. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for every person who is here this morning who made that decision or maybe who made that decision while listening to this on the internet. Help them to get plugged into a a good Bible-believing church. Bless us now, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.